You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. WordPress has such a large footprint across the internet, they know that there's got to be a certain percentage of those that can either be compromised through weak credentials or plugins that haven't been updated. And so they, they know they have a field of possible targets that they can scan for and get their phishing sites served from. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Larry Cashdollar. He's a principal security intelligence response engineer at Akamai. We're talking about scams on PayPal. All right, Joe, uh, we're going to jump right into our stories this week. Why don't you start things off for us? Dave, this story was sent to me by a listener named Jason, so I want to thank Jason because this story is very interesting. Hmm. There is a software engineer in Tampa. His name is Connor Tumbleson, and he has a blog, and he has a recent blog posting on how he was impersonated. Hmm. And this is a fascinating blog post. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm, we're not going to talk about everything here, uh, like all the investigation that Connor did following up on this. Right. But uh, because Connor did a lot of work on this. But we're going to talk about the scam that Connor found out about where somebody was impersonating it. Okay. Now, he found out about it from a random email that he almost threw away. Hmm. Somebody named Andrew had sent him a, uh, a message. And I'll read that message here. Hi, Connor. A few days ago, this person named Marish found me on GitHub and reached out to ask me to be his senior software engineer where my priorities would be communicating with clients. I thought this was a tiny bit strange since I'm a college junior and having a hard time trying to land a software engineering intern offer, but I took it. I knew that I was capable of it. Ah, this was what he was doing. He finds contracting positions, pretends to be a real developer with experience matching that position, and wants me to interview as that real developer. Hmm. Uh, so in this case, he found a, uh, a contracting position. He researched the position and, and also found you and decided to impersonate you. I'm oh, paraphrasing so, the email. So, so slow down a little bit because so, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm losing the thread on You're who's You're losing the thread on what's, cap- what's happening here. Well, who, yeah, so, so back up a bit. Who, when we say you and— <laughs> Right, yeah, there's a lot of pronouns in here. I'll right. just clear it up right now. Okay. This person named Maris yes. has found Andrew. Okay. And has approached Andrew and has asked Andrew to impersonate Connor in an upcoming job interview that Maris has secured. Wow. Okay. Right? Andrew's like, I, I, I'm going to let Connor know about this because it looks like Connor's a real person. Oh. Uh, so Maris sends Andrew this dossier on Connor that essentially has all of his information that's uh, available via open source intelligence. Right. I actually reached out to Connor on uh, – on LinkedIn this morning. I haven't heard back from him, but his, his resume is on LinkedIn. Yeah. So this guy has built up this dossier on Connor and is asking Andrew to impersonate Connor in a, in a zoom meeting. And Andrew is an, is an ethical person and says, I'm not doing that. 
That's a weird cold call. Like, it, hey. It is. Hello, stranger. I want you to uh, impersonate another stranger. What was the offer to Andrew? What does Andrew get out of this? I don't know what Andrew gets out. I think he gets, uh, he might get some money out of it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, actually, uh, there in the uh, in the article, in the blog post, rather, there's actually chat logs between Andrew and, and Maris. Okay. Uh, and it, it's, I mean, check out this article. It's really interesting. Huh. So Connor, he has the Zoom link. Right. Okay. So he he clicks on the Zoom link a little bit early, and the uh, interviewer lets him in, and he introduces himself, tells tells the interviewer who he is, and says, "I'm not applying for this job. Somebody is impersonating me, and here's how I found out about it." Huh. Right. In the meantime, the guy that is now impersonating Connor connects to the call. Oh, so so Andrew's out of the picture. Andrew's out of the picture. But Maris has found someone Maris else. Maris has who's found somebody else willing to try to in, to impersonate Connor. Correct. It may actually even have been Maris, um, mm. him or herself. Yes, uh, the plot so, thickens. Right. Okay. So the the guy uh, the interviewer is like, okay, uh, what do we do here? And Connor says, let me change my Zoom name and my my uh, and turn my camera off and change my avatar. Mm. And, and the guy says, yeah, fine, fine. And once Connor's done with that. Uh, the guy lets the other the the impersonator into the interview right. while Connor is there watching this go on, hmm. right? And it goes on for about two minutes, and and Connor is you know of course I, I don't know how you would feel in this, but Dave, but I, I would be enraged, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm sure that Connor is Connor is also enraged because Connor turns his camera on and goes. Uh, Hi, I'm Connor. Why why are you doing this? And uh, the the immediate response is the guy drops from the call. Yeah, of course. So, during the course of the uh of the communication, there's a great a great email exchange between Connor and this person. Connor, uh this person has even gone so far as to f- uh, create a clone account, email account of Connor's actual email. It's very close. Uh, and Connor sends this guy an email. It's actually it looks like he's sending it to himself. Why did you do this? And yeah. the guy responds, sorry for that. I used your profile because you have a great history on GitHub and you look handsome. <laughs> oh, well, carry on <laughs> Oh, then. okay. Yeah, well, thank you very much. <laughs> right? Right, right. All is forgiven. Right. <laughs> Flattery <laughs> will get you everywhere. Now that you've told me I'm handsome. <laughs> okay. So there's some bullet points that Connor has in here about what's going on. He says a person uh, or company sets up a fake Upwork profile, mm-hmm. uh, and he's and then they impersonate a real person, which is what they did to Connor. Hmm. Now, Upwork is a um, a remote work kind of uh, gig economy job site. Right. Uh, I right. know people that use it, and they've they've had great experiences on Upwork. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure that Upwork is very interested in getting fraudulent accounts off their uh, off off their space. Right? Sure. Sure. Um, they then apply to jobs in hopes of getting an interview using that fake profile. And then they find somebody on GitHub who's willing to go along with this and be a conspirator in this. Hmm. And that person uh, then identifies themselves as the person being impersonated to to land the job. And Connor has some questions here that are really good questions. Uh, can you really refuse video for the entire uh, the entire contract of the job? Right? Mm-hmm. Like I- I'm never going to use video. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get paid if you need to submit tax documents? And do you pretend to be this person forever? Those are all good questions. Now, immediately, Dave, I think back to the scam that you and I have discussed a number of times, where somebody comes in and they say, uh, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a good software engineer. Here's what I am." And they they and they start getting the paychecks. Right. And they just 
take the paychecks until they uh, they get fired. Essentially, right, right. Not having any any capabilities, right. Uh, so I don't know if that's the scam here, or maybe the scam is I just impersonate this person forever, <laughs> and maybe I actually huh. do work. And uh, you know, because I'm I'm pretending to be somebody. I can't imagine that they'd actually do the work. Right. I mean, that, it it seems that like just doesn't that, doesn't. that runs counter to uh, right. the the scammer's creed, right? It does <laughs> legitimate, uh, <laughs> honest work. But it does. Uh, but check huh. out this article or this blog post that Connor made. It's brilliant. I mean, it's Connor has done a lot of work and a lot of uh, a lot of other follow up on this. I just wanted to go over the scam here. A uh, couple things I want to note: if you're hiring somebody on Upwork. Insist on video calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not if they don't want to run their video because this guy never turned his video on. If they don't want to turn their video on, we're done. That's right. the end of this. Right. Thanks. Hmm. A couple of things about that. Number one, it demonstrates that they have a high speed internet connection, which you probably need for an Upwork job. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and I may I may be overstating that as as an effective tool, I guess. But, uh, you know, it, it, a high-speed internet connection is going to be required for these kind of jobs. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I, I yes, but I, I think, um, you know, there ain't, there ain't no more dial-up, Joe. So right. <laughs> anybody can go to their public library or their Starbucks or, you know, sit in their car outside of a, well, yeah, there a ain't no company more... that has, uh, you know, lacks security on their guest network. There's no more dial-up in the U.S. Yeah. This guy didn't think, didn't seem like he was coming from the U.S. Yeah. So okay. it's probably some foreign national. Uh, one of the things Connor says, he has a uh, an accent that he didn't recognize when the guy was on the call. Huh. So uh, I don't know uh, where he came from. Right. Uh, but he was probably not coming from U.S. soil. Yeah. It's interesting. Huh. It's it's a really interesting story. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, if you're a conner. Right. How do you protect yourself against this sort of thing? You have a public persona. Right. Right. He has There's a public persona. Lots. He has a, a, a website and a blog. Right. Right. And it's it's remarkably easy. I, I, I think the only thing you can do, I mean, it's, I don't know, because this information's all out there. Mm-hmm. This guy just used open source intelligence gathering to to find it. Yeah. You know, it's it's the LinkedIn profile is the same thing. LinkedIn is one of the most powerful OSN tools out there. Yeah. It tells you everything you need to know about somebody you want to impersonate or someone you want to scam. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I guess part of it comes down on the people doing the interviewing as well to to have something in place to verify that the person they're talking to is actually the person they're talking to. And right. I, I mean, I think it's reasonable if you're doing a job interview to say, hey, you know, got a couple things here as we get started. Uh, I'm going to need you to hold your ID up to the camera or something like that. Right. You know, yeah, just, that's a good good idea. So I can, you know, it's something. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's something. Sure, anybody can fake an ID, but would, would, would a scammer go to that trouble to have that ready? Maybe some would, but I yeah. suspect many would not. That's a good point because I, I have my ID. I could easily do that for anybody if they asked yeah. right now. And so could anybody applying for a job. Right. You know, so if you start getting some kind of excuse like, oh, I just lost my ID because my wallet was stolen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting <clears throat> that it happened right, right before an interview. Right, and my camera's not working. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> All right, we're done here. Thank you. Right, and my internet's been spotty all day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you got to trust your spidey sense for some of this too. Yep. If you're the interviewer. But, uh, yeah, but that, that must be unnerving for Connor. Oh, Connor have. talks about how creepy it is yeah. <laughs> throughout this article, and he says he was very unsettled by it. I'll bet. Uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, 
I, I, I've reached out to Connor. I want to talk to him about it. It's, it's okay. a, an interesting story. Yeah, maybe a future guest. That may be. <laughs> All right. Well, that is an interesting story for sure. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, my story this week, actually a little bit of good news. Okay. Uh, wrapped around some bad news. But uh. Uh, this is from the folks over at ProPublica. And uh, the title of the uh, article is Authorities Raid Alleged Cyber Scam Compounds in Cambodia. Now, you and I have spoken about this idea of pig butchering. Yes. Right, which is the the term of art for um, when these scammers will, you know, fatten up the pig who is the victim mm-hmm. before they steal their money. Right. Um, what's going on here is that after some of the stories about pig butchering, it seems as though uh, the government of Cambodia has been cracking down on these I think it's fair to call them sweatshops right. that are running these sorts of scams. They're human and trafficking operations. They are human trafficking operations. Uh, they bring in uh, folks from other countries, folks who are uh, you know, looking for opportunity uh, in, in a country that is not theirs, and they, of course, promise them the world, and then they end up in a terrible situation. Uh, they talk about some of these facilities having bars on the windows and— um, you know, barbed wire or fences around them and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and these folks are put in a position where they're forced to work under, you know, under threats of violence or bad things or, you know, who knows what. Um, and so the government of Cambodia was turning a blind eye to this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the light that's been shed on it from organizations like ProPublica and other ones uh, made it so that they couldn't just ignore it anymore. And so this article talks about how they've raided uh, in at least three Cambodian cities, and they've freed thousands of workers from buildings, uh, people who they say— Thousands of workers? Thousands of workers who were detained against their will. Um, And they say this comes from escalating diplomatic pressure, Mm -hmm. rising scrutiny from local and international press. Hmm. Um, So I I think, you know, it's good that this is happening— uh, they, they talk about in one of the buildings, um, they confiscated uh, nearly 9,000 phones, 800 computers, 16, lap, 16 laptops, four pairs of handcuffs, and 10 electric shock devices. Yikes! Right, right. So it gives you a little window onto just how horrible yeah. this sort of thing can be. I, now, I heard a story uh, involving involving a Cambodian camp like this yeah where a in this I, I can't remember where I were, where I heard this so I'm sorry I won't be able to provide any any uh, any backup for this but it was uh, the story was about a man from China mm-hmm. who was on vacation in Cambodia at what he thought was a casino yes and, yes but when mm-hmm. he arrived there he found he was abducted and forced into this this situation right I remember that story as well they took his passport right uh, by force or you know thre- by threat of violence I right. guess is yeah. a better way to say it um, yeah yeah, and that, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, now, I suppose this—I mean, this article acknowledges that it's a little bit of whack-a-mole here. Yep, that, absolutely. That uh, several of these places, they just pack up, they go to a, a more friendly location. Yeah, but now they have to—now they're out of people. They have to go get more people. So right. that, that slows them down. It um, does slow them down. And, and those—and th- th- just because it's whack-a-mole doesn't mean you stop doing it because right. the thousands of people that you've freed from this, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. 
And so the government, uh, well, the the leadership in Cambodia are now saying that we don't want our country to be known for this. (laughs) So again, shining that light on them, the the importance of of international press, uh, say that uh, Cambodia's prime minister said, do not let Cambodia become a haven of crime, a place of money laundering, a place of human trafficking. Uh, So that's good. Send a little shame their way and uh, make them clean up their act and Uh, not be able to just ignore this sort of thing when it's going on in their country. scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, these sorts of things happen all over the world, Mm -hmm. but I think it's good news that uh, some folks are cracking down on this and and hopefully if we can make it harder for them to do business, there'll be fewer of them doing business. I would would hope so. Yeah. All right, so we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Of course, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, we have two today. Okay. And the first one comes from Eric, who sent in this email. Why don't you read this one? All right. It says, hi, I greet you. I'm approaching you for a genuine friendship. I adore having rest on the open air, going to forests, parks, seas, etc. I like cooking. My main trait of character is my kindness. I need you. My heart needs you. Tell me more about yourself as you reply me here. Truly, Anita. All right, this is pretty pretty simple to see what's going on here. This I wonder getting- if Anita's last name is Hug and Kiss. <laughs> And she has a uh, sister named Amanda. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) She's trafficking giant pandas. Right. (laughs) Yeah, this is obviously the beginning of a romance scam. Yeah. Uh, So it's it's great. It's really written in terrible English. Uh, My my favorite thing is I adore having rest on the open air. I don't even know what that means. It's obviously (laughs) something that went through some kind of translating software. Right. right. (laughs) Yeah, I enjoy having rest on the open air. I I mean, it's there's some yeah long walks by the seashore and quiet evenings, a a glass of wine, candlelight, all that stuff. Yeah. All right. So the next one comes from Uberfax on Twitter. Okay. Uh, It's an Instagram DM from uh, the allegedly deceased. Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, okay. Just like this. Yes. Hey, it's me, Queen Elizabeth. I am not dead. Charles sent me to a deserted island so he could be king. I don't have access to my royal money, so please cash at me $300 so I can get back to the UK. (laughs) Tea and biscuits. (laughs) Tea and biscuits. That's how the queen signs off all her direct messages on Instagram. Well, and I'm I'm impressed that she starts off her her correspondence here by saying, hey. (laughs) Hey, right. I don't think that's a word the queen had ever said. (laughs) Right, probably not. Unless she was talking about how she was feeding her horses. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So the queen is not dead. Right. And she desperately needs 300 bucks. Right. $300. <laughs> so she can get back to the UK and take her rightful place right. back on the throne. I saw another one of these that I, I couldn't find, but it was uh, the queen was claiming she was isolated with Diana. Oh. And the next message goes, hey, love, it's me, Diana. <laughs> like, yeah. I am pretty sure that's a sentence that Diana never said in her life. No. Hiding out in one of their many castles. Right. With Elvis. 
<laughs> That's right. And Bigfoot. Right. And Bigfoot. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks to our listeners for sending this in. Of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to use on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Larry Cashdollar. He is a principal security intelligence response engineer at Akamai. And we were talking about a PayPal scamming kit. Here's my conversation with Larry Cashdollar. You know, usually every morning I, I check, I have some custom honeypots that I run on a segregated network at my home. That's part of Akamai's, or I should say, the Akamai Certs uh, research lab. And I noticed a zip file which is always, that's like Christmas, seeing a zip file on your, on your honeypot in the file logs. <laughs> so you're like, oh, cool, it's, you know, there's some actual possible source code here. And I noticed it said it was a PayPal phishing kit. So I'm like, okay, neat, you know, PayPal phishing kit. So I open it up, and I'm usually, you know, most phishing kits, they try and just collect the data. The code tries to mimic the target or victim website as closely as possible, uh, in, in ways, not, not the code itself, but, but the look and feel of the website, it tries to mimic the flow and look and feel of the, of the website they're trying to impersonate. Um, but this phishing kit, it had a lot more code involved, which, you know, usually phishing kits are, are not so big. You know, they're, they're just a, a couple of PHP files with some either images or, or, you know, possible links to other images that they've kept on the Internet somewhere in, in the cloud that they pull down. And um, this one had all of these PHP files that were attempting to hide the phishing kit from prying eyes. So I hadn't seen this level of sophistication before where the phishing kit was actually checking to see who was being phished or who was connecting to the site. And I thought this was something pretty neat that, that uh, this thing was actually trying to prevent itself from being discovered. So that was one of the things that made me interested in, in examining this kit even further. Yeah. Well, let's walk through it together. I mean, what, what exactly uh, are they after here and how do they go about doing it? So normal phishing kits, they generally try and steal your, your username and your password. This phishing kit not only tries to steal your username or your email address and your password, but it pretty much tries to steal your entire identity. It tries to get you to upload pictures of yourself. It tries to upload pictures of yourself holding your identification cards and your identification cards. It tries to get your PIN number for your ATM. It tries to get your mother's maiden name. It tries to get a lot, of, a lot more information than you would typically expect a phishing kit to grab. So it's more of like a phishing kit to steal identities is, is more closely what it was through or, or under the guise of trying to authenticate to PayPal. So, hmm. it, you know, it was, it was a pretty invasive kit to try and steal all this information. Uh, and I, my assumption is that, you know, the, the authors figured, if you fooled the, the victim this far, why not go the full measure and try and steal all their information? You know, this is one of the things that really intrigued me about this, you know, this kit in particular, was its its audacity 
to try and steal your identification cards and a selfie of you holding the identification card. Which some online verification services use as a way of authentication, right? Right. So some like cryptocurrency sites ask that you upload your government-issued ID, like your license, but also they ask you to upload a selfie of you holding your license to prove that you are the person in possession of your own identity card. So if, if there's a selfie of me holding my driver's license, you know, that's proof that, you know, I'm not just uploading somebody's driver's license, I'm in possession of this driver's license. My face matches the person's face on the license. So if these actors, these threat actors have this information, they can pretty much make themselves look like they can impersonate you on these sites that requ that require this type of authentication to to create a, a login. Hmm. Now they're taking advantage of WordPress sites here as well. What exactly is going on there? I think with with WordPress sites, they've already got a working functional site that they've infected. So they know the site is likely running PHP. It's able to, to um, parse PHP. Most WordPress sites, I would believe, to allow email being sent from that site. So if I, you know, if I compromise a WordPress site, uh, typically that WordPress site, when a user creates an account or the administrator does something that site, it sends an email out to the, uh, the administrative person's email address saying, hey, you have a new user who's created an account here, this is their information. For most WordPress sites, I'm, I'm imagining that's true. In regard to my honeypot, that's not true. My honeypot is not set up to send email. And I think this is one of the features that these attackers are looking for is a site that allows, you know, outbound email, a site that allows PHP parsing, and a site that's, you know, already open and on the internet that's, you know, has an app, active Apache or uh, Nginx working HTTP server to serve the, the phishing kit from. So I think that's why WordPress was targeted. And I believe that because WordPress has such a large footprint for you know, the content management system of choice across the internet, they know that there's gotta be a certain percentage of those that can either be compromised through weak credentials or plugins that haven't been updated. And so they, they know they have a field, of, a field of possible targets that they can scan for and get their phishing sites served from. So if I'm a, a WordPress uh, site owner, you know, I, I've just spun up a WordPress site for my stamp collecting hobby or something like that. Sure. Uh, these folks got their hooks in it. I probably wouldn't even notice that anything was amiss. I don't think you would probably notice unless you were someone who actively checked their logs and checked their the site traffic and then noticed that there was a sudden increase to the, your site that, you know, there was a spike in your traffic that wasn't there, you know, days ago, uh, then you, you wouldn't really notice. And, and so in terms of the, the phishing itself, do you have any insights there as to how they're luring people to this compromised site? That I'm not sure about. I'm, I'm working with some of the uh, targeted sites owners to try and see how the sites are or how the, these folks are lured to it and also to see what sort of monetary damage uh, these phishing sites have caused, how successful they are. So that's something that, that I'm working with uh, other folks in uh, tracking to see, mm -hmm. you know, how successful these, these phishing campaigns are. 
And do you have a sense for where the gathered data is being sent? It's according to this site, it's being sent to a, it's either a Proton Mail account or a Gmail account where this phishing kit sends the information in a zip file um, of the logs. And some of the logs are actually just sent clear this email address where, you know, this actor then collects them and either I'm, my assumption is that they're selling them on the dark web or uh, possibly using them themselves to, uh, you know, either gain access or create accounts as their victims on some of these crypto sites or sites that require that type of authentication where they can impersonate the person they've stolen the credentials from. Hmm. Well, let's go at, you know, mitigation and protection from two different angles here. I mean, there's the there's the person running the WordPress site, but then there's also the person who's uh, down, you know, in, in the phishing scam itself who thinks that they're logging into PayPal. Can we start with the WordPress uh, owner? How should they go about protecting themselves? They uh, should make sure that they keep a, a secure, strong password for their administrative credentials. And if they have the ability to, they should try and set up two-factor authentication for their for their administrative logins to their web their WordPress site. Mm-hmm. Um, they should also keep track of what plugins they have and make sure that you know those plugins, if they have any vulnerabilities, that they've updated those plugins to the latest patched version. And I'd also keep an eye on your logs. Just watch your watch your log file. Be familiar with what your normal traffic looks like and what any anomalies might be. Um, that, that's also a good a good tip to to just keep track of what normal access is to your site, and then if you see anything that's odd, uh, then you can say, "Well, this isn't this isn't normal traffic. There's got to be something going on here." Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And so, what about the folks who think that they're trying to verify their PayPal account? I mean, uh, it seems to me like there's a number of red flags here. Yeah, I mean, if, if the URL you're going to is not PayPal, you know, if the website you're going to is uh, Jim's stamp collecting website on, you know, .org, then, uh, you know, it's likely that you're you're being fished and you should just, you know, get off that page and not submit anything to it. If the site's asking you for a lot of odd information, like, why would, a, why would you ever need to submit your PIN code for your ATM to anybody? ever. You know, that should never happen. You should never need to submit your ATM PIN code to anything online. It's, it's, that PIN code is only for when you're pulling money out of your checking account. It's never to authenticate who you are to any website. So that's another red flag there. Joe, what do you think? I'm a little bit scared now. <laughs> okay. This, I, I think this is a remarkable uh, finding that, first off, Larry used a honeypot to capture a PayPal fishing kit. And right. finds a kit that has had a lot of effort put into it. Yeah. Uh, but the reason the effort has been put into it is because it's going for big things. Mm. Interesting that this kit tries to prevent detection. Right. It looks at who's looking at it. I'd like to know what it does when it when it notices that when it when the conditions are satisfied that it doesn't want a uh it doesn't want to expose itself does it just redirect to paypal yeah um, I, I was talking to a researcher about an unrelated bit of malware earlier this week and she was telling me that um they were looking into a bit of malware that when it decide when it determines that it's in a sandbox it self-destructs right yeah that's that's 
a lot of things do that when it's, and they look for ways, there are ways they can tell yeah. uh, if something's in a, in a sandbox. Um, I, I don't know what this particular, what that particular one did, but they, yeah, they, they'll, they'll try to self-destruct to avoid, uh, the scrutiny. Right. Um, I don't know how effective that would be because if I can do some static analysis on it and just reload it again yeah, uh, and try again, um, I think this is an interesting evolution in the development of fishing kits. I mean, you remember way back when when viruses did this? You know, they would they would they would change something inside of themselves. Uh, they were called polymorphic viruses. Yeah. So that the hash would be different because if you were using a hash based uh, system, you'd have another uh, another hash and it wouldn't show up and the virus right. could live. Right. 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 So this is this is I mean this is an interesting. Uh, an interesting evolution in a phishing kit. So in other words, it's receiving a web uh, request and going, I don't want to deal with this. Send this person somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then you can't analyze it. Right. Um, it's really bad. It's not just a phishing kit. It's essentially a turnkey identity theft solution. Mm. And these pictures that they're trying to get are part of the know your customer requirements for, and I, I think uh, Larry mentions that he's talking about uh, crypto exchanges. So, my immediate suspicion when I hear this kind of product is that they are trying to establish accounts for the purpose of money laundering mm, mm-hmm. because these guys are probably already, this is not their only, their only line of business, if you will. Right. Uh, and this might be a solution for them. I'm speculating wildly here as I want to do. And I'm, <laughs> and the thing about my speculations is they're usually pretty good. You yeah, know? It's informed speculation. Yeah, it's informed speculation. <laughs> right. Um, but these guys are probably setting up accounts in these people's names. Uh, the I don't know, you know, Larry talks about them getting PIN numbers. Mm. Uh, I don't know how that is useful to them without the access to the actual card. Yeah. Um, but they they do have the PIN number. Right. Maybe they're assuming that the people reuse the PIN numbers on things. Yeah, could I don't be. Know. Who knows? Um, it's interesting that they're exploiting uh, WordPress sites. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about talk about this at Hopkins from time to time. Uh, I, I was talking about this with, with Chris Vanghouse, our systems engineer. Uh, and he was saying that what happens is in the shadow IT world is people will set up WordPress sites and just have, you know, their, their, their WordPress site running. Yeah. And Larry talks about this in mitigations. You, you really can't do that with a WordPress site. You can't, WordPress is not set and forget, mm. particularly if you're using plugins because these plugins have vulnerabilities in them frequently. Right. And WordPress, uh, you know, the people that maintain the, the product do a pretty good job of updating things. I don't want to malign WordPress here. I think they do a good job of, of keeping things up to date. But mm-hmm. as the user and operator of this system, it's your responsibility to to check for updates and check for vulnerabilities. Right. Uh, and, and WordPress does a good job of letting you know when that's the case. Uh, but if you don't do that, <laughs> you, you know, you're just going to have a site that's eventually going to get compromised. Yeah, uh, just, uh, you know, interesting little aside here. Uh, my wife happens to be a WordPress developer. It's one of the things she does. She has expertise in that domain. And she makes use of a third-party WordPress provider. Right. So she's running her WordPress sites on basically someone else's platform, and they take an extra level of uh, attention at your security at, you know, making sure that your plugins are up to date, making sure that you have backups that are active and maintained right. and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. you know, one of the great things about WordPress is that you can spin up a WordPress site very inexpensively. But my, the point I'm making here is that for, you know, a few bucks more, 
you can run your WordPress site on someone else's platform, right. still have the convenience of WordPress, but take it to the next level when it comes to security. And in my mind, that's money well spent. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I think your wife is doing the exact right thing. Yeah. Uh, and and this, this company... I don't know who it is, and you know, I don't remember the name of it offhand, or I'd or I'd mention them. But, right, but, uh, you know, look for somebody like that. Yeah, if yeah. you're going to host a WordPress site, right. Uh, other mitigations are use a strong password and multi-factor authentication if it's available on on these sites, mm-hmm. um, and watch the traffic. One of the things that Larry was talking about was that you may not even know that you have a phishing kit on your WordPress site uh, unless you go through and look at it. Right, you're going to have to inspect it. Uh, for the user, the, the person receiving the phishing mail, the phishing email, uh, the only thing that's going to protect you is just your own security awareness. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Uh, so keep listening to this show. Don't stop listening. <laughs> right. Tell your friends to listen to this show, <laughs> as, as I often say. But um, but seriously, I mean, know that you're on if, – if PayPal sends you an email that says, hey, we have a problem with your account, don't click on the link. Just go to paypal.com. Yeah, it's it's six letters for the domain plus a dot com. So what's that? A total of uh, I can do math. Ten characters, <laughs> ten keystrokes. Yeah, I, you know, other thing I'll add here uh, uh, in the WordPress part of it is that you know there's that old saying, uh, you know, set it and forget it, or if 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 it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, but that doesn't really apply with software it because doesn't, because software can be broken. You need to fix it. And you don't even know it's broken. Well, and also uh, flaws are discovered over time. So Correct. something that used to be considered secure, five years later, someone discovers some sort of vulnerability, uh, and now it's you have an issue that yeah. you didn't think you had. So. Uh, it wasn't broke before, but now it is. Right. And you may not be aware of it. So you, that's that's why you got to keep things up to date. And I get it. Patching is hard uh, to keep up on, but you can't just leave something running out there and, and think that, you know, it's automatically going to be okay. It just doesn't work that way with software. That's my take anyway. What yeah, do you there, think, Joe? There was a um, – I'm with you on that, Dave. Uh, there There is a, a an interesting statistic about uh, a, an XP – Windows box. If you put an XP Windows box out on the internet, it gets compromised within the first like two minutes of being right. exposed. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. It's, I mean, <laughs> before and, you had an opportunity to download the updates. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's hammering home. on it. Yeah. Somebody's got it. Right. Right. Um, it's, and, and that's the kind of thing. I mean, XP is a, is an extreme example because it's so old. Yeah. yeah. Um, nobody, nobody should be using it anymore. But the thing is, it's still out there running devices. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and the 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 solution from the vendors who have the XP device, the XP powered device, is oh, just put it on a secure network. There is no such thing as a secure network. It just <laughs> does not exist. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Larry Cashdollar for joining us. He is always a great guest here and over on the CyberWire as well. We do appreciate him taking the time for us. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.